Welcome to this special edition of the New Stack Makers on the Road. We're here in beautiful Los Angeles at HashiCom Global. Discussions with technologists, giving you their expertise and insights to help you with your everyday work. Infrastructure enables innovation. HashiCorp provides consistent workflows to provision, secure, connect, and run any infrastructure for any application. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the New Stack Makers. This week, again, we are on the road. This is part of our On the Road series. We're in Los Angeles for the HashiConf conference. This is HashiCorp's annual user conference, the first one in a number of years post-COVID. And we're welcoming Megan Lies. Lise, that's Lise. That's all right. Lise, <laughs> thanks for Megan having me, Jim. <laughs> well, thanks for yeah. joining us. Megan is the Vice President of Product and Partner Marketing for uh, HashiCorp. And this year, there were a number of uh, pretty big announcements around HashiCorp's, I would say, I wouldn't say it's a flagship product, but certainly a, a key component, and that's Terraform. And we're very curious as to some of the new features that you're offering with Terraform, both the open source version, but also Terraform Cloud, the managed offering, and Terraform Enterprise, which can be used behind the firewall. Well, welcome to uh, the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. All right. So first of all, for those who aren't kind of familiar with the HashiCorp universe, what is Terraform? Yeah, Terraform started around 2014. HashiCorp introduced it, and it's really to bring a programmatic approach to infrastructure automation using infrastructure as code. So mm -hmm. you're probably familiar with that to basically provision and manage any sort of infrastructure. So a lot of organizations will get started because they're they're moving to cloud, very API service driven architectures with that. Mm -hmm. And so having automation in place where you can do that across AWS, Azure, GCP, or any variety of services that you're using is really, really where people get started with Terraform. And so the idea is that I would put the configuration, write the configuration down in HCL? That's right. Basically, that's how it works, but we'll be going, getting a bit more into that in a minute. And a engine, I guess, would take the HCL configuration file and actually deploy the resources in a way that is consistent with the configuration file. In effect, kind of automating deployment. That's right. Your configuration file describes what you want your end state to be for those mm -hmm. resources in resource blocks, mm -hmm. using the providers for the different you know infrastructure types to call mm -hmm. out to the APIs on those. So Terraform basically translates what your configuration, what's codified in your configuration, and goes and provisions it to that desired end state. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a declarative language. You just declare what you want that end state to be, and Terraform goes and figures out how to do that for you. Nice. And it's part of a larger, I guess, a trend. I don't know if Asher had coined the phrase, but certainly you guys are one of the main purveyors of infrastructure as code. And this means that, you know, as a system administrator, you no longer go in and to the server and do all the stuff yourself, but there are advantages of putting this in code first. Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, prior to kind of the prevalence of infrastructure as code, and like you said, we're not the only ones that do it out there. There's a whole market and kind of approach to that. But yeah, I mean, it was highly manual. I started out my career at NetApp, which is like a very data center driven company. Sure. And everything was very manual when we built our stacks of storage 
you know, arrays and, and things like that. And so, you know, it's just moved away a little bit away from that where it's not all of these manual processes. And for the most part, everything's managed through the APIs. Excellent. Excellent. Now, before we get into the new features, I was very curious at this year's show. Well, AshCorp has always struck me as an infrastructure tool provider, primarily for those who uh, have to maintain the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But this year, there seemed to be more of a focus on developers. Maybe you could talk about the reason why. Yeah, I think the important thing is to say there's really two concerns. So infrastructure operators or, you know, what we see is a number of infrastructure operators come into a team that's often Mm -hmm. called the platform team. Mm -hmm. They're really concerned with, hey, I need to provision a bunch of infrastructure across a variety of providers for my organization. And then I need to be able to manage that, the lifecycle of that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so Terraform addresses those infrastructure provisioning and infrastructure management. However, your consumers of that infrastructure are your application developers, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important to understand how do developers consume infrastructure built by Terraform. And so that was a focus of the announcements we had at HashiConf this year is how do you make available the infrastructure from that infrastructure team up to the developers? And that's why you saw some of the focus around the developers. Nice, nice. Yeah, so let's delve into those new features. One is what I've been calling a low-code or no-code approach, but basically it sounds like you've added on, just to clarify, to Terraform Cloud, that's your management offering, and Terraform Enterprise, you've added a graphical user interface. Yeah, so the UI has been there for a while, but Mm -hmm. the building blocks that were there were the modules. So infrastructure as code can be put into modules for code Mm -hmm. reuse, right? You add some variables and make it easy for other people to use it. And then we have a private registry. So once modules are approved and validated by the ops team, they can be published to this registry and, and then easy to find. Um, however, there's a number of steps, you know, in the workflow to go put those into workspaces and, and mm-hmm. get it set up with the variables you need and, and go through that motion. And so some of the feedback we received from customers who use this at scale was, you know, it would make it a lot easier if there was just kind of less steps, less nuance to knowing mm-hmm. that workflow and finding modules or, or those pieces. And some organizations do it just fine, but it's like, I have, a, I have hundreds or thousands okay. of developers in my organization. Oh. So how can we just make it easier for them to come in, discover the infrastructure they need and be able to provision? So to that end, we introduced this no-code provisioning workflow, which is built into the UI. But you just go in, if you're looking at the registry, you just say, mm-hmm. hey, maybe I need AWS or Azure infrastructure, select, oh, instance type, goes, hit a button, provisions your workspace, hit another button, it goes out and provisions for you. So it's just a couple of steps and it's very, very, um, very straightforward. Excellent. Now, so from the perspective of the developer, uh, so the modules, they're for specific sets of functionality, like mm-hmm. spinning up an AWS cluster or... Yeah. So it could be like an ECS cluster from AWS. It could be a Kubernetes set of Kubernetes Mm -hmm. pods. So it's a variety of things that could come from any of those providers. You can do smaller, more composed modules. You can build multiple modules together in a parent module. So there's a lot of building blocks to actually build more complex sets of infrastructure using modules. Excellent. And so the idea is the the platform team would assemble the modules and they'd basically be the startup instructions for whatever resource. And they would put it in a registry that you could then kind of look through and say, I need this, this, and this. 
Yeah, okay. that's exactly it. The operators or that that platform team, they're going to write mm-hmm. any of the modules that they expect to be reused. So a lot of times when we're working with organizations who have kind of transitioned through this space, mm-hmm. they're like, hey, we have 70, 80, 90% of the infrastructure our developers use codified, and it's fully self-service. Excellent, excellent. So among the announcements was the general release of of Terraform itself, Terraform, the open source uh, version, version 1.3. Here is where you guys has expanded the module capability quite a bit. Right. And this is to reduce the complexity of, I guess, the root document. Terraform. Explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, let me yeah. let me. I'll yeah. kind of talk you through it. So it, yeah. it ultimately ends in the production of a module, but mm-hmm. Terraform is one of those tools where a lot of times there's just one or two people getting started in an organization, mm-hmm. and so what they'll do is they'll write their own custom configurations to get started, maybe in the cloud or whatever, whatever is going to be that first set of infrastructure that they're they're mm-hmm. provisioning. So that configuration over time naturally is going to grow, right? You're going to build more complex sets of infrastructure. More people are going to join the team and start using Terraform along with you. And so the code can get more complex, long, Mm -hmm. right? Monorepos, we hear that term, right? Right. So as that grows, you start to say, hey, there's probably a better way for me to organize this code into more concise sets, right? Mm-hmm. And that would be the module. And so in, to make it easier, it was the move block that was introduced. And move so you block. can actually create references between original configurations and new modules so that you can you can break up your code into those modules. And so that was what was introduced into 1.3. It was actually enhancements to the move block to make that a lot more easy. Nice, nice. And the idea is, I guess, if you need to update the modules yourself, it would be easier to do it once than across all the different Terraform. Exactly. Now maintenance of code, updating code Mm -hmm. becomes a lot easier. You just go do it in that that module rather than having to traverse through every configuration, Mm -hmm. find every reference of that instance and update it there. So yeah, exactly. So code refactoring is a big big piece of what we hear as organizations get bigger. And so the move block was a big piece of this. Terrific. All right. Fantastic. Now that Terraform can be used to automate the provisioning of infrastructure, it seemed like a natural follow-on that you guys would start working on drift detection. Could you explain what drift is in modern infrastructure? Yeah. So with Terraform provisioning, you know, creating the resources is kind of like the day one thing. It's like, now I have the records of these resources that are out there that have been provisioned. And the beautiful thing about Terraform is you can see it across all of the different Mm -hmm. infrastructure types that you've provisioned. So if you're multi-cloud, if you're using a bunch of services, you have the visibility to see all the infrastructure across all that. So now the second challenge is really is like after provisioning. So day two and beyond is how do I make sure that my infrastructure stays in my expected state? And that was the thing that drift detection is out there aiming to solve. So if we have our Terraform state files, that's the exact representation of what we expect our infrastructure to be. So it's going to just go out and there make sure right that, yeah. that it's, it, it is in the state we expect it to be in. If it's not, Sends, sends a notification to the team so they they can go take a look and and make sure that they get that corrected. Or What would cause infrastructure to go off the chart like that? Yeah, sometimes it's just end users who do things out of outside the Terraform workflow, but it could be things where a service just goes down and we didn't know about it. So there's, there's a variety of things, but it's when the infrastructure changes outside of the Terraform workflow that you really want to be notified of that and get it back into an expected state. One of the sessions at the conference this week was how LinkedIn actually has been using Twitter 
drift detection to keep everything standardized, basically. But now this year, you've enhanced that, enhanced drift detection. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. So we think about this as the overall health of infrastructure. So drift Mm -hmm. detection is one of those things where it just automatically runs in the background, checking against state. The other thing that we introduced, though, is overall infrastructure health. So in June, we talked about 1.2, Terraform 1.2, which introduced post conditions. And Mm -hmm. these are assertions within the code that you just want to make sure are true. When we introduce post conditions, those get checked like at the time of a Terraform apply. But the the question is, is what then happens after the apply? So day two and beyond, how do we make sure that those post conditions remain true? And so that was where we introduced continuous validation. And that continuously runs in the background after infrastructure has been provisioned to make sure that those assertions remain true. What's so, a good post condition? What's a good yeah, example? Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a great question. So um, the one I actually always love to use and part of it is because it allows me to talk about HCP Packer. But HCP Packer is where, you know, Packer builds images and then HCP Packer stores a repository basically of the, the information about the images. Right. So the team can say, hey, you know, we have our approved AMI, base AMI images. And then that works directly with Terraform Cloud, right? Mm-hmm. So it calls out to HTTP Packer and it says, what's the latest image? And then I'm going to go out and provision my instance with that base AMI. But over time, you know, we talk to organizations, they're like, hey, we roll our images every 60 days. Or if there's a security issue, we need to roll out a new version. Well, your developers aren't always going to know about that. So a post condition might be, make sure you're always using the latest AMI. Oh, yeah. okay. So if... So the, the AMI can be updated somewhere else within yes. the organization. And once you have a record of that, then Terraform will know to at least send an alert to whoever's managing it. Okay, Exactly. So Terraform will now detect that the AMI is old and then the alert to update it to the latest version. Can it also update it? Uh, I know the owner gets a, a, a message first, yeah. but can they also... Yeah, there yeah. are ways to provide automation within that workflow that says, hey, when our AMIs are out of mm-hmm. date, let's get them updated. Yeah. All right. That's very important for yeah. like security patches. Absolutely. And yeah. All right. Fantastic. The final thing I, I wanted to discuss, there's so many great features. So you have to check our blog for a rundown of all the great features released this week. But I did want to delve into governance, which seems to be a growing uh, concern. And this, again, builds on Terraform's automation capabilities. Now, you've offered governance roles, the ability to inject governance roles into Terraform through uh, Sentinel mm-hmm. is your product. And what is governance, in it, generally speaking? Yeah, we usually think about it in three areas. There's security mm-hmm. concerns. And so mm-hmm. this might be just as a simple as saying, hey, don't make my security um, storage unit like or bucket externally mm-hmm. facing, right? right? And if you go and look at a number of the breaches huh. out there, it can be right. things as simple as that that have huh. that have opened the doors. Other things might be compliance. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of countries have GDPR and, and things that you have to be concerned about. And if you're like me, it's like, I usually don't know what those rules are. I just want to be able to go and provision right. what I need. However, if you do it, and you break some of these rules, that could be very costly to the company, right? right? So, and then the other one is just kind of best practices and cost management. It's like, mm-hmm. if I'm doing some dev tests, maybe I don't need to be using the most expensive instances from the clouds and like, mm-hmm. you know, giving some guardrails around that. I kind of always say like, you know, it's like driving a, a Lamborghini to the grocery store. It's like, it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just putting best practices around it. And so we think about it in those three areas. Sentinel was the policy language that we put out mm-hmm. in 2018, 
kind of the best best way to write custom policies. We wanted to really start getting ahead of that and enabling organizations to put these practices into their automation workflow with Terraform Mm -hmm. and to solve for all of the things I just mentioned. So Sentinel was the first thing. In June, then we introduced, you know, there's a number of our partners that are also starting to build policy sets to address security, compliance, even even the cost management stuff. So we introduced Runtasks, which allows them to now inject kind of their their context or their expertise into Mm -hmm. the workflow and allow those things to be enforced. And so then I think we're getting to the latest thing we announced at the conference was to have open policy agent alongside Sentinel in Terraform Cloud and Terraform Enterprise as a native way to write custom policies. And that OPA is a, uh, I guess it's an open standard, open yeah. source specification. So uh, it sounds like a lot of other organizations were using OPA or lo- looking at governance in general, and this might be a way to uh, standardize across that if you needed to. So you can now use OPA specifications as well as Sentinel ones to yeah, apply exactly. your reference. All yeah. right. Yep. All right. Fantastic. Megan, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. And I thank you listeners for tuning in and be sure to check in for the next episode of the new Stack Makers on the Road. Thank you. Infrastructure enables innovation. HashiCorp provides consistent workflows to provision, secure, connect, and run any infrastructure for any application. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's one of the best ways you can help us grow this community, and we really appreciate your feedback. You can find the full video version of this episode on YouTube. Search for the new stack and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any new videos. Thanks for joining us and see you soon.